Well, good morning, Scarlet City. My name is Jacob Beach. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at the church. I'm glad you're here this morning. Whether you are uh, visiting for the first time or if you're an old regular here, we're wrapping up our series this morning on legacy. And the legacy series has been an exploration for our church on investment. Okay, we've been asking the question, what are the markings of our church? What will individuals of this community be known for? What will we invest in? What will we care about? When those of us who are in this room are gone from here or, or old and passed away, what will be the legacy of Scarlet City Church? And on Sunday mornings, we've covered a lot of different topics. We've talked about God's story. We've talked about discipleship. We've talked about social justice, passing on the gospel message to the next generation. We've talked about church planting. And in city groups, we've also had similar discussions. We've looked at the ways that God has worked in our past, what God's doing in our lives currently. We've looked at Uh, We look back at people who have been significant influences on our life and how we engage with the world around us today. And this morning, we're going to close out the series by talking about the foundation of everything that we do, the foundation of our faith, the foundation of our ministry to one another and to the community, and the foundation on which we build things like discipleship, social engagement, church planting, evangelism, everything. It all comes back to spiritual renewal that comes from knowing God, knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ and being transformed by the Holy Spirit. And to that end, let's pray this morning and ask for for the Lord to speak to us. Lord, we ask you to be with us this morning, Lord. We ask for your word to speak to us. This morning we ask that you would bring us to a clearer understanding of what it means to believe, what it means to leave a legacy, and how we can do a good job of investing in things today. We will leave a good legacy for your work in this community tomorrow. In your name we pray, amen. So I want to open up by asking a question. Have you ever had an experience that changed your foundation, okay, that rocked your world. I've had a few, and I think that you can have uh, really significant things that happen, or you can even have little things that happen that just open your eyes to a world that was previously unknown or unseen. When I was about six or seven years old, I remember my mom being on the phone with one of her friends. She was walking around the backyard. We had one of them brand new cordless phones. And she didn't realize that I was playing around the side of the house, and I, and I could hear bits and pieces of what she was saying. I wasn't eavesdropping, but I could, you know, I hear her laughing, hear her talking about different things. But I specifically remember this moment because it was the first time that I heard my mom casually use a swear word. And at the age of six, I certainly remember hearing words like that, right? And my parents had told me these are bad words, you know, you're not supposed to use them. And my parents weren't saints by any means, but there were certain words that they didn't use around me at that time. And upon hearing this, it sort of freaked me out a little bit, okay? I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know uh, how to think. All I know is that uh, there was this new world now that I lived in, right? That my sweet, perfect mommy had a pirate mouth, and when I told her this story this week, she died laughing. This was like tw- over 25 years ago, and 
She cussed me out. <laughs> and no, she didn't. She's great. But anyone, I think, uh, uh, is free to have their own conviction regarding this area and the usage of words. And uh, we're not going to talk about that this morning. But the point is here, the point I want to, to come to is after that experience, uh, a certain words like those became destigmatized for me. It changed my outlook. It was uh, the beginning of a shift in my view of the morality of words and how we use them in language and the like. Now, I think we all have certain experiences that change us. They can be funny little stories like this, right, that uh, we remember years later, or they can be really uh, significant emotional uh, 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 things that, or experiences that rearrange our emotions. They rearrange our uh, priorities, what we care about, what we value. So this morning, I want to look at one of those foundations, one of the foundations of our faith. And I want to look at how the story, this story in the Gospel of John, illustrates the life-changing effect that Jesus had on those he spent the most time with, his disciples. I want us to look specifically at what Jesus himself calls his disciples to do. What is the foundation that Jesus instills in his disciples after rocking them to the core? What is Christ's charge to them? So let's go ahead and uh, look at John 21. If you have your Bible or a phone, we're going to look at John 21, 4 through 17. I know the bulletin says 4 through 7. If you looked at that, that means it would have ended right when it, right when it says he put his clothes on and he jumped into the sea. That would be a funny time to end the passage, I think. But we'll go on past verse 7 today. We'll go to 17. So John 21, 4 through 17, I'll begin reading. Starting in verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is the word of the Lord. So what's going on here? This is John 21. This is two chapters after Jesus is crucified, after he's uh, buried. And this is one chapter after his resurrection when he begins appearing uh, to the women at the tomb and, and some of his followers and some of his disciples. However, our story picks up here with a group of Jesus' disciples having gone back to work. Okay, if you remember the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's walking around the Holy Land, he's calling disciples to come and follow him. He calls them to drop what they're doing, leave their jobs, leave their day-to-day, and to follow him. And they do. By faith, they trust him. They do follow him. But now Jesus is gone. Jesus has died. The disciples gave up everything to follow him, to do ministry with him, to travel with him. But he had been killed. All of their hopes, all of their beliefs were tied up in someone who got hung on a cross and died. So what do they do? They go back to the only thing that they know. They go back to fishing. So they're out there fishing. They aren't catching anything. It's not a good night. And in the morning, they're about 100 yards off a man whom they can't uh, uh, see, they can't, under, they can't uh, recognize who it is on the shore, calls out to them and tells them to throw the net over again, throw it over on the right side, and they catch a whole load of fish. Now, the story is quite similar to when Jesus first encounters these specific disciples as they're fishing. And it's in this moment that John realizes the author of the gospel, uh, of this gospel is John, who refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He realizes that the man standing on the shore is the risen Christ. And John turns to Peter and he says, it's the Lord. Okay, you can almost hear the inner child in his voice, right? But you don't have to wonder what's going on in Peter's head, right? He puts on his clothes because it was normal for a fisherman to, to work unclothed or with just a small cloth. And he puts his clothes on and he dives into the water and he furious, furiously swims towards the shore. Now, this is the same Peter who walked on water. It's the same Peter who boldly cl- proclaimed that he would never deny Jesus before denying him three times. This is the same Peter who pulls a knife and cuts a dude's ear off when they come to take Jesus to trial. But this is the situation that we have, the disciples whose lives, Peter, whose life is so monumentally changed. Everything that they know has shifted after they've known Christ. They've had their eyes opened. They've had their faith stretched. They've seen miracles. They've walked and eaten and ministered and spoken and hung out with Jesus for years. Everything had changed. And I think it's illustrated right here with Peter who was in a perfectly good boat, but he sees the risen Christ and he's so overcome with joy and excitement that he jumps out of the boat and he swims to the shore. Now maybe he only got there a minute or two before the boat. I don't know what kind of boat they were working with. But it's his childlike excitement put on display that reveals just how meaningful his relationship with Christ was to him. And it's after they've had breakfast, after they've had some bread and fish that they come to this interaction, we come to this interaction between Peter and Jesus. It's a recommissioning of sorts. And this is the heart of the passage for us this morning. We've been talking about legacy. 
what we want to be known for. And here we have Jesus speaking to one of his disciples, one of the future leaders of the church, one of the future members of God's people. And after his resurrection, he tells him the things that are most important. He asks Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know all. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Three times Jesus reiterates, using different words, what is most important. And I think that we as a church must receive this this morning, these three statements as pillars, pillars that we build on a foundation of knowing Christ intimately. As we consider how we will shape our legacy as a church community, we must contemplate the foundation on which Christ sets forth the institution of this ministry, of what matters, of what is most important, and what everything must flow out from. So let's look at these three statements and figure out what they could mean for us as a church and as individuals. Jesus first tells Peter, he tells him, feed my lambs. This statement differs from the other two in that he uses the word lambs instead of sheep. The, the Greek word that is used here is a word specifically indicating a baby, right? A lambkin, a young lamb, a baby lamb. And in saying, feed my lambs, right? Feed the lambs specifically. He is commissioning Peter to spiritually minister to those who are young in the faith, those who, are, uh, weak, th- those who have a weak or a non-existent faith. These are people whose faith is yet to be fanned into a flame. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean? This means that we are called to speak the truths of the gospel message and the claims of Christ to people who don't know him. It's a call to bring spiritual renewal to those who don't know Christ. This is the dreaded E word that Christians use sometimes, right? Evangelism. At our simplest, we are Christians who worship God the Father, have been brought into the family of God through the life, death, and resurrection of the Son, and have been given the gift of faith and salvation through the Holy Spirit living with us. And if these things are true, if we believe these things to be true, and we've experienced them in our life, then it's not a message that we are able to keep to ourselves. We can and should be sharing this news with the outsider for those who don't, for those who don't come within these walls that we don't interact with on a regular basis in a place like a church. We should be speaking into the cultural values and into the ideals of our modern world. But if we do so apart from the message of the gospel or with any, without any connection to Christ, then we have nothing unique. We have nothing different to offer the world. Our call is to participate in evangelism. Whatever that word makes you feel, it's a call to invitation We invite others into the same redemption, the same grace that we ourselves have received. We share the message of the good news that Jesus Christ has already done the work of bridging the gap between God and man. He's purchased our forgiveness. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be perfect because he has already earned it. He has already been perfect on our behalf. 
Now, in my house, we have a rule, okay? We have more than just one rule, of course, but this one is really important. Trust me here, this is going somewhere. And that rule is this, no frozen, okay? No frozen movie in the beach household. We're a strict Moana family, and that's final. But nevertheless, my daughter loves the Frozen movie, okay? She loves Elsa, Anna, the snowman, warm hugs, the rock trolls that have basically no narrative sense in the movie. But we have Elsa. We got an Elsa doll. We've got a dress-up dress. Uh, We have some Frozen stuff. We're not tyrants. But the one exception to this rule is a single song that we love to listen to. What is it? What's the song? No, it's not Let It Go, a terrible song. (laughs) I hate Let It Go. The song is Love is an Open Door. Okay, you guys know that one? No, I will not sing it. It's a song sung between Anna and Prince Hans, who turns out to be a real dirtbag. But what I like about it is the song was written to sort of feel like the perfect first date, right? Now, uh, maybe uh, don't get engaged to someone you just met, okay? I'm not condoning uh, what happens between Anna and Prince Hans. Maybe good advice for Ariana and Pete. But uh, as Anna is expressing how hard her life has been, right? She's been shut out for years by her sister uh, and how lonely she's been. And and this Hans character sort of promises that he'll never shut her out. They sing it together over and over. Love is an open door. Love is an open door. Love is an open door. Now, the reason I love this song, uh, even though, again, it's, it's, the context is a little shaky in the, in the movie, uh, but the chorus repeats this idea over and over, right? Love is an open door. Now, I'm not like so Christian that I think about evangelism when I hear like a Disney song, okay, from a terrible movie, but it's true, right? This, the idea, right? The idea in the, in the chorus that's repeated over and over has truth in it. Love, true love, is an open door, okay? It's the love of Christ that is our foundation for sharing the good news, for sharing the message. And that is what we're inviting people to experience. We're inviting them to experience true and ultimate love. It is true that God's love is an open door. The door is always, always open, And those of us who know that love should welcome others into it. We should be reminding people that you don't have to get your life in order first. You don't have to fix yourself. You don't have to meet an impossible standard before the door is opened for you. Love is an open door. God's love is an open door. Come in, eat with us, meet with us, rest with us. Know this love, know this redemption. Take your shoes off, right? Get comfortable. Sit on the couch. Experience the safety and new life in Christ. This door is open. Come in. And this is what I believe is at the heart of what Jesus is saying here. If you love me, if you know me, be my messenger. Be my vessels of redemption in this fallen world. Offer people more than only physical or emotional relief. Offer them spiritual renewal. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. This must be a foundational pillar of our legacy as believers. Now, the second imperative 
statement that Jesus calls Peter to is to the tending of his sheep. He says, do you love me? Tend my sheep. The uniqueness of this second statement comes with uh, uh, the word usage as well. In, in, in this context, he's saying, tend my sheep, right? He's saying tend. Tend is a, a shepherding word. It's a uh, uh, the Greek word is, here describes the gentle, attentive work that a shepherd gives to his sheep. It's a call to encourage and care and love those who are in your community, the way that a shepherd does with his sheep. And the foundation of this work, this attitude and lifestyle of care and love is built on the loving relationship that Peter and Jesus have. And for our church, for our community, it means that we must also, in our foundation, understand that the love and care that we give and receive to one another is important. We can't be a people who only speak the words of redemption. We must also be willing to get our hands dirty, to get involved in people's lives, bearing the burdens of our brothers and sisters. Now, this week has probably been one of the hardest weeks uh, for my family in the past few months. I contemplated multiple times texting Pastor Jay or Pastor Mike and saying, hey, it ain't, it ain't gonna happen this week, man. Not gonna be able to do it. But then I thought, you know, maybe, maybe it's a good state to be in, sort of beaten down and battered a little bit to, to give a sermon and stand in front of a bunch of people. I know that the Bible says my power is made perfect in weakness, and sometimes I wonder, like, why that got to be in there? Like, why does that have to be in there? It's terrible. I mean, it's great, but it's terrible. Now, my son, who's almost seven months now, he decided that this was the week he was going to never stop crying unless someone was holding him, which can be a challenge with three kids in the house, but it happens. Uh, but not only that, but also on Monday, he decided to stop sleeping, now, we're talking like three or four hours of crying when he would normally go to sleep. Now, this isn't the worst life circumstance I've ever experienced, but it's um, definitely been a long week uh, for our family, especially for Ashley. But I know one of the things that I'm most thankful for during this week specifically was not that others were able to alleviate the strain, the stress, the difficulty, but that others were present in it. We had some church friends come over and hang out Wednesday night with us, and, you know, we were talking and hanging out and doing some different things, and, and really, all I remember was they're the just crying coming out of the monitor the whole time. And we had our city group over the next night on Thursday night, and it was the same thing. Honestly, our, our city group this week, it barely got off the ground. It was, it was kind of rough. Anyone that was there knows that it was, it was an interesting week. But ultimately, what I'm thankful for is the grace and the willingness to step in to the literal and figurative mess that was our life this week. Because the house was a wreck, and so were our emotions. Now, it's not only Christians, right? It's not only people in the church who are able to do things like this. But I was reminded this week that there is safety in sharing your weakness and frustrations with those who are able to receive it, who are there to receive it, who are part of the community of faith. 
And I think that as Christians, we should be poster children, right? We should be the, 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 the loud criers of the acceptance and the grace that we've received in those places of pain and difficulty and defeat. We should be the ones that are naturally creating places where people can be open and honest with the things that they're dealing with because we as believers have been accepted by God. Just thinking of that concept, I think, is, is, is a little wild, right? God, who is perfect, who embodies ultimate justice and goodness, he accepts and loves us. Now think about that. Think about that in your own life, right? We can, look, we can look outside of our life and we can see bad people doing bad things. It's all crazy. But look into your own life. He accepts and loves us. Through, the faith, through our faith in Jesus Christ, we are welcomed in. We are given new hearts, new minds, new values. It doesn't come from within ourselves. It's not something that we can manufacture, So if that's what we have received from God, we should be the first ones to listen to those who experience injustice and pain and disadvantage. We should be the ones cultivating a culture of kindness and attentiveness. And I'm not saying, hey, be nice more. You need to go out there and make this happen. What I'm saying is that we need to operate out of what we know and what we believe. This is a lifestyle. It's not a specific, singular action. We have been made new, and when we interact with one another, we should have a view of that newness, that we aren't better than other people. We aren't superior because we're in a different situation. When we ourselves are in need of love or care, we need to know that we are safe here, that we are in a place where grace and peace freely flow between us because we're in the same family now. Jesus is calling Peter to create the kind of culture, to create this kind of culture in the Christian community. He's saying that you should have compassion and love for your brother and sister the way that the shepherd gives TLC to his sheep. And we saw Peter, who was quick to jump into the water on more than one occasion, right? Because he was so deeply affected by his experience of the love of Christ. He was quick to jump in. So let us be quick to jump in to the lives of others. Jesus says, do you love me? Then tend my sheep. This too must be a foundational pillar of our legacy as a church community. And finally, we come to Jesus' final statement to Peter. He says to Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. He concludes his three statements with saying, again, a similar phrase with another tweak. And this one's really straightforward. He says, Peter... Give spiritual nourishment to the flock. Feed the message of the gospel to those who believe. If you love me, you will continue to preach the gospel in season and out of season to those who know it and need to continually hear it. Friends, the message here is this. We never graduate from the gospel message. 
We who gather here who believe in Christ, we who show up every week to a church like this, we who have believed for a short time or a long time, we need the gospel message. We need to hear it over and over. Not because we don't know the words or the notes or the dance moves, but because we need to hear the music. Now, I want you to do something for me right now. And I need you to trust me one more time. I want everyone to close their eyes. And I want you to imagine this illustration with me. And if you're feeling kind of artsy or creative, feel free to do hand motions or movements or anything you want to do. But I want you to imagine with me two different people. The first person is you. You're sitting in a room. You have your headphones on. You're listening to your favorite song. Think about the song. Your eyes are closed. You're dancing maybe. You're moving to the beat, right? Maybe you're tapping your foot. You're singing along to the lyrics. You're singing along to the words. Now I walk into the room. I see you doing your dance. I see you singing along to the words. I don't know the dance moves. I don't know the words. I don't have headphones in. I'm not listening to anything. But I am watching. And maybe you've got your song on repeat, right? You keep listening to it. You know it well already. This is natural for you. But after a few renditions, okay, after I watch it a couple times, I think that maybe I can replicate what you're doing. And with your eyes still closed, I want you to think about this analogy. The dance moves, okay, the lyrics, the way that you stand, the speed at which you tap your toes, the way that you bob your head. This represents the Christian life. These are our outward actions. But the music, the music that comes through your headphones into your ears, that's the gospel. It's the grace the love, the glory of God, the life and death and resurrection of the Son. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to us and stirring us towards goodness and love. You can open your eyes. Now, it can be easy for us to try to replicate these dance moves, to sing the words, to dress the way that other people dress, to act the way that we think people are supposed to act, and to do what we think is the right thing. You can try to live the Christian life without hearing the music. And those of us who have come to know Christ by grace through faith, we often act like this, right? We often act like we don't need to hear the music anymore. We used to know the song. We heard it a bunch of times before. But we don't need to keep listening to it. And in doing so, our spiritual life is cheapened to external behaviors and church activities, separated from God's renewing and transformative power, the music of the gospel. And what Jesus wants is he wants us to hear the music. 
And the dance and the singing and the toe tapping, the actions, the character traits, the care for justice, the social engagement, the Christian life, the legacy of our church community is to flow naturally out of hearing the music. And that is the difference between knowing the words and hearing the music. In Jesus' final statement to Peter, he reminds him to preach the gospel. Speak the message of the gospel. Treasure it. Treasure the grace of it. Cherish the beauty of the message. Don't get so Christian and so churchy that you graduate from it, that you move on from it. Don't be so concerned with what you want to be known for and what you want to accomplish, what legacy you want to leave, that you forget the foundation of what matters most. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Every week at Scarlet City, we begin our worship gathering by reminding each other our mission statement, our purpose. What is our aim? It's to be a people joining God's story of transformation and renewal. And friends, as we consider what will be the things that mark our community and what will be the legacy that we leave, let us never forget that the foundation, the foundation of everything that we do flows from our being transformed by our interactions with the living Christ, having been made new by our faith in him. That spiritual renewal is what we offer to the world. And it's what motivates us to be on mission, to be countercultural in the way that we love and care for the oppressed and those in need. And it moves us to radical acceptance and kindness towards one another. And it keeps us grounded in the simple message of the gospel, that we are far worse than we ever thought, but we're far more loved in Christ than we could ever hope or dream. Let's pray. Thank you. Lord, we thank you for coming, Lord, for dying, for offering us faith, for inviting us in, Lord, for opening the door. And letting us experience your love. And Lord, as our church continues to grow, as we enter into this sort of transition season where we're taking over this building and we're uh, uh, adding new ministries and different things are happening, Lord, I pray that we would not lose focus on the foundation, Lord. The foundation of loving others, of preaching the word, and of sharing that message with people who don't know. And Lord, I pray that we approach this work, that we do this work out of our relationship and the love that we know from you. Lord, we ask you to be with us. We ask you to take us with you everywhere that you go. Lord, and we pray that we would follow where you lead us. In your name I pray, amen.